Thank you for listening to the First Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. Here you will be able to listen to all of our Sunday morning sermons. Be sure to hit the subscribe or follow button so you don't miss a sermon. Enjoy today's message. Well, this series that we're going to go into is from the book of John. It's called Signs, and it's a new perspective for me, and I hope it is for you, because as I've studied John years ago in Bible Bowl, I... I, I'm very familiar with it. As I took Greek in college and almost had an ulcer, we studied John and translated it from the Greek. That was how I learned Greek the first year, four hours a week of ulcer-producing testing. Wasn't good, good at it, but I still know and use the Greek. But, but this last year, I heard about this idea of signs in the Gospel of John. And, and, and the reason why he wrote the book of John, and, and, and to give us a fresh perspective on something that we've probably heard over and over and over again. But if you'll turn with me to the Gospel of John, this is John 20, verses 30 and 31. John writes late in his life, probably he was probably in his 60s or 70s, and that probably doesn't sound really old to you, but for some of us, it, it sounds pretty young. But it was 50 years After the death of Jesus, around 85 AD, he writes. And this is the last book he writes before Revelation. And he shares his heart and his perspective looking back at what Jesus meant to him and what occurred. And and the idea here is that he believed because of what he saw. Look in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have, or you may have life in his name. This is so important because it's not just a just have faith, or you just have to believe. John didn't believe because he believed. He believed because of what he saw, what he experienced as he, as he walked and as he was taught and as he saw what Jesus did. And it changed his life forever. It changed the apostles' lives. Ten out of the twelve gave their lives by faith because of what they saw, because they believed. John was the only one to die a natural death. And he did so with scars, probably from being boiled in oil for his faith. He suffered. Now, when we turn to John chapter 2 this morning, we're going to look at a wedding. And weddings are celebrations. They are a time in community life where we gather together and we celebrate. And, And they're great. But in our culture today, Weddings aren't valued, or marriages aren't valued as much. And you've got to remember that that this is a time of celebration where communities come together, two families come together, and they celebrate a uniting of a husband and a wife in holy matrimony. It's a once in a life should be a once in a lifetime occurrence. It should be the part one of the parties of all parties. And we've got to remember that marriage and, and weddings were designed by God. 
And so no matter what the culture says, or the state says, or what is legal or illegal, God designed marriage in Genesis for one man and one woman for life. Any other way that it's made is not of God. And I was just reading an article this last week. One of a, a new kind of union is called polyamorous. I don't even know if I'm saying it right, but it's, you know, three people, maybe one man and two women, or two women, I mean, two, one woman and two men. Sorry about that. And that's accepted, according to statistics, by 24% of the believers in churches. That's not the way God designed it. And, and until God changes his mind, which he won't ever be contrary to his word, it will never change. It's a universal absolute forever. That's how he's designed us. So when we see Jesus come to this wedding in John chapter 2, if you'll read with me the first two verses, it says, On the third day there was a wedding at Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus, Mary, was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples, and we think there were probably only six disciples at that time. Now here's where the problem occurred in this wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, this was, this was, this, guys, I don't recommend you ever saying this to your wife or your mom. Okay, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, really, in that culture, what he was saying is my lady, and he said it respectfully, mom, you know, what am I supposed to do? It's not my wedding. The problem was they ran out of wine. It was a crisis. That was part of a celebration. It might have been a week long. In fact, in the Old Testament, it was two weeks long. And they gathered, and it was limitless because it was the way the Jews celebrated a wedding. And when, when, when she said they have no wine, she's saying, Mary was saying, they have no joy. But I want you to realize that the wine always runs out. When we live below the sun, when we live below God's kingdom, the wine always will run out. I was talking this morning, and I said, I, I was really excited when I was a young man, and I had to gain weight. Can you imagine? I had to weigh 100 pounds. I had to weigh 100 pounds so I could ride a motorcycle. We had this old, beat-up Yamaha 60 street bike in, in the garage, and they said to me, when, when you weigh over 100 pounds, you could ride that bike. I did everything. I ate everything I could. I, I put rocks in my pockets. I did whatever it took to gain that weight. It took forever. I mean, it was like I could eat anything and I wouldn't gain weight at that point in my life. And lo and behold, the day finally came, and I rode that, that motorcycle right into the brick wall of my house. And then my younger brother, who did not weigh 100 pounds, hopped on it and, and, and rode it perfectly because he'd been down at the neighbor's house and riding motorcycles, and I didn't do that. But I looked forward to that day, but I took it for granted after I had it, or, or that BB gun, or that driver's license, or, 
or finally being married. We, we, we see those as goals or that career or that degree or that, that trophy or that accomplishment. But the wine always runs out. You see, the joy of life always runs out without Jesus. Because nothing in this world under the sun will ever satisfy. You see, life without Christ is life without wine. I don't know if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon and saw its majesty, or been to the ocean and look out over it, and you just have this recognition that the, the world is beautiful and glorious in creation, or... or experience something where you, you know, the big sky in Montana and have seen it, or, or the, the, the painted desert and the quiet and the sereneness of a morning and that, that, that twilight either in the evening or in that morning gloaming experience, something like that, and just step back and say, that is beautiful, and realize that there's a God, and God is the greatest joy giver and a God of joy that is, surpasses our comprehension because he sees and experiences and takes joy in his creation and takes joy in you. And, and experience that kind of beauty and recognize who it's from. The question then becomes, is there wine in your life? Is there that joy in your life? Have you ran out of wine? Now, I'd like to look at the solution this morning. Mary says, do whatever he tells you in verse 5. His, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. She heard his comment. Woman, what am I supposed to do? My lady, mom, come on. It's not my time. And she looks at the servants and she just ignores, I, I think she ignores that. And she says, do whatever he tells you. Do what the will of God is. Do what Jesus says. And look at verse 6. It says, there were six stone jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. Now this was maybe 120 to 180 gallons of water. The reason why it was there was for purification. This morning before first service, we had a baptism. That is a rite of purification. The Jews actually practiced a baptism, a form of baptism, for a, a non-Jew to become a Jew. But they had ritual washings that were, according to the Old Testament law, that they had to perform in their household. Before they ate, they had to wash. They, when they came in the house, they, ne they needed to wash their feet. There were head and shoulders and body washing that they had to complete to purify themselves ritually. But in this moment, Jesus says, go fill them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine 
first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. Now, there's a couple things going on here. Is Jesus is saying there's something better coming. That, that the water of purification is basically no longer going to be necessary because I'm going to bring new wine, new life, new hope, new joy. And the old covenant is going to be fulfilled in my death, burial, and resurrection. And there's going to be new wine. There's going to be new life and new joy for those followers of mine. You see, in, in, in this last phrase, but you have kept the good wine until now. Now, Jesus never did anything halfway. It wasn't mediocre. It was the best of the best of anything that ever could be created in the universe. Jesus did it. So when the governor of the feast of the wedding said, hey, this is the best. Yeah, it was. It was the best that had ever been created. And Jesus was saying the good wine was the abundant life that we were going to experience with him. Remember in, in the parable where uh, the, there were sheep and, and the robber would come and the robber Satan would come to steal and kill and destroy. But the shepherd was what? He came to give life and life to the full abundant life. That's what Jesus was showing here in this sign. See, this, this, the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. They believed in him because of what they saw. They knew where those stone water pots were and, and, and the water that was placed in them. They didn't understand. They saw a sign because that water became wine. And you see, there was nothing random or accidental about this sign. Amen? Jesus was demonstrating his power so that they would believe because of what they saw. Now, this was his first miracle, but you know the last celebration in the Bible, Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 9. Revelation 19, 6 through 9, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. The bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. You see, the first miracle and the last celebration in the Word of God is the wedding feast of the Lamb. How awesome is that? Are you excited? If, you believe, if you're a believer in Jesus, we are going to experience that. I don't want to miss that celebration. It's going to be the wedding beyond all weddings. You talk about all these million-dollar, billion-dollar weddings that occur, nothing's going to compare to that because the church is going to be united with the Lamb, to Jesus Christ, and, and it's going to be a glorious, glorious day. For the fine linen, linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, 
These are the true words of God. That's a guarantee, folks. We will be there. Now the question is, how do you have wine in your life? Has the wine ran out? How do you have Jesus in your life? Is it a relationship? Is the joy there? Is the joy there? I want to tell you a little story. I just read it. And it's about a little boy named Eel. E-I-Y-A-L. He was adopted out of Russia. He had fetal alcohol syndrome. When his adoptive parents, which happened to be a Jewish rabbi and his wife, adopted him, he would, as a little baby, go into a rage. He was uncontrollable. He had nightmares. He didn't sleep very well. He was, he was so, so very difficult for this loving, caring family to try to control, and they just couldn't. They did everything they could. They tried all kinds of medications. They tried all kinds of, of therapies, and nothing would work, no matter what they did. But along came Chancer, a golden retriever. He had been trained to deal with little boys like Eel. And what he did was when an eel would go into that rage and that fit and that anger and those tears, Chancer would come and lick him and lick him. And all the sobs and snot, Chancer would lick until Eel would laugh. Eel couldn't speak, couldn't, couldn't even form words, couldn't connect with human beings. But in a few weeks with Chancer, he could talk. He became empathetic. He wondered what Chancer experienced and how he felt. Chancer, that is. You see, because Chancer didn't see a little boy that was experiencing fetal alcohol system or syndrome. He wasn't experiencing a little boy that was full of rage and fits and anger. He was just experiencing a little boy that he loved unconditionally that changed his life. You see, when we come before the Father and when we receive the Son as Lord and Savior of our lives, our lives are transformed by the kingdom of God. It is His will that is be done. The wine never runs out. So how do we do this? How do we do this? First, to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Kevin did that this morning in the baptistry. It's so cool when people come to faith. Number two, repent. It's saying, hey, my life's not perfect. I've made some mistakes. I need to you know, turn it around, but I can't do it on my own. We have folks come in every day that are in this, in this, in this situation, just like us. They're just like us. Number three, be baptized into Jesus, have that relationship, force, daily spend time with him in the word and in prayer. That's how we have a relationship. It requires time to get to know him through his word and through his prayer. And finally, five, if you're doing all of that and you're not experiencing joy, start a gratitude journal. Just say, hey, here's what God has done today. Here's the blessings I've received. Don't take it for granted. Don't take 
the wine in your life for granted. The question this morning is, has the wine ran out in your life? Let's pray.